0: I don't have a sermon tonight. Um, (laughs) I have been going nonstop since about last Sunday. I haven't had a moment's um, respite for over a week. Um, Not even a a time to sit down and collect some thoughts. Um, I've just been go, go, go. So, I have a, lift, a list of scriptures and a heart full of the Spirit tonight, if that's enough. Yes. Um, so, it's probably going to be a little, if this is the right word, a little raw tonight. It's not exactly formally written down, but I do have things in my heart that I hope to convey. Um, and it goes right along with our series we're doing. Um, If you remember two weeks ago, when I was here last, we started a series. Um, The working title is The Weight of Glory. The Weight of Glory. And we get that, I get that phrase from 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4. It says, for this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comprehension. Hallelujah, the weight of glory. We're talking about the presence of the Lord in this series. And really, really any message should be about the presence of the Lord. Every, every message should have the presence of the Lord included in it, because there is nothing in the word void of the presence of the Lord. We have nothing if Jesus is not in it. And if you have something that Jesus is not in, you need to throw it away. You need to cast it at his feet and say, I don't want this, if you're not in it. So we're talking about the glory of the Lord, the presence of our Lord. And, you know, last, uh, last time, let's see, I was just reviewing... Some things in the back there. Last time we talked about the, the, the fear of the Lord, and we talked about how in the modern church society, if you want to call it that, the, the fear of the Lord has been pushed aside because it scares people, which is not something we will ever do because unlike a lot of people, we, we understand what the fear of the Lord means. Fear of the Lord is not being terrified. It's not being, being afraid. It is a respect. It is a reverential, awe-inspired respect for the Lord. Because like Hebrews says, our God is a consuming fire. We respect his presence and we treat it very carefully so as not to dishonor it. Yeah. So I, I did one of my scripture dumps last week. I think, I, was that 32 verses? 32 verses that all say something about the fear of the Lord. And some people want to say, we don't need that today. Okay. Right. And we brought out how if we want to see a move of God, we have to have that key element. That's where it starts, is respecting his presence when he shows up. Mm -hmm. Respecting his presence. You've got people in churches who won't even stand for worship. They they are on their phones during service, which I, I get it, checking a text, I, I get that, but if you're scrolling through Facebook during the service, there's something wrong with that. Right. That is absolutely disrespectful to the presence of the Lord. Right. And We talked about how if we want to see a move of God, we've got to get back to that respecting Jesus when he shows up in a room and let's see we talked about how two of the two of the most broken commands in the New Testament maybe not maybe not the most broken commands but two of among the most broken commands in the New Testament are do not quench the spirit and do not grieve the spirit we talked about how quenching the spirit means not doing something that he wants to do. Yeah. Grieving the Spirit is the exact opposite. Grieving the Spirit means doing something that he doesn't want. In other words, an example would be some people will disrupt a service. Back in, um, back in the, the charismatic renewal, um, in a lot of Pentecostal churches, um, A thing that would happen sometimes would be someone would stand up and shout out a a word of prophecy, and their their heart was there, but a lot of times it wasn't what the Lord wanted at that moment, and it was just inspired by the flesh that would be grieving the Spirit, doing something that He doesn't want to do at that moment. So we talked a lot about that. We talked about how, at least as long as it depends on us, Compass Church, we will strive not to quench the spirit not to grieve the spirit because we always want to do what the lord wants second by second it's not a day by day it is a second by second moment by moment the lord is always moving and trying to pull us in directions and trying to 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 pull us to do things to to, to say things or not say things or, or not do things, we always want to follow the leading of the Lord, and that is what we strive to do here at Compass Church. And we talked a lot about how the Spirit is not a commodity, which is what many people treat him like. the The Holy Spirit is a commodity is like a microwave. It's one of those things. It's a thing that makes our lives easier and more convenient. But the Holy Spirit is not a commodity. He is a person. He, he is not a tool. He's not an object. He's not a force, you know, the force. He's not a commodity. He's a person, and he has a will, and he has feelings that we don't, don't want to hurt. We talked, about, we talked a lot about honor. We talked about how when the presence of the Lord is in a room, you have to treat it carefully, carefully, you don't want to be frivolous with his presence. It's like when, I, when I, I told the story of when I first got that really nice laptop I had, when I carried it, oh, I was careful with it. I, I didn't want to smudge it up. You know, I didn't want, to, didn't want to break it because it was expensive. It was worth a lot. So I was careful with it. And when I, when I left you last, I think I had you write down, don't mess with the glory. Mm-hmm. Don't mess with the glory. We don't get to dictate how we are to have a relationship with him. It's the other way around. He sets the terms. The question is whether or not we will follow it. Right. And just showing up to a church, that's the bare minimum of what he requires of us. It's the bare minimum. And I brought out how before, before the Bible ever comes, a, comes and tries to establish God's love for us, it does. But before it even does that, it establishes God's holiness. In fact, the, if the New Testament, if the goal of the New Testament is to bring out God's love for us, the goal of the Old Testament is to, to show God's holiness. Over and over. I mean, what do the angels sing encircling the throne for eternity? Holy, 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 not lovely, 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 not awesome, not mighty, holy. Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. So and what you have to do is you have to you have to merge Those two, the Bible's not two separate books. It is one cohesive book. So what you have to do, you have to come into a room where God is understanding both his love and his holiness for you. Or his holiness and his love for you. Because holiness without love is unapproachable. And love without holiness is frivolous. You have to have both. You have to have both. We, and the issue is that a lot of modern day churches, the, the trendy churches, are all about preaching the love of God, which they should, which all, shir- all churches should, but they preach love without holiness. We don't want to preach love without holiness because you can't have one without the other when you're in the presence of the Lord. If you have love without holiness, he, he will the, the, the presence, the anointing, will lift. because if you do not honor his presence, that tells him you don't want him there. If you're not careful with his presence, that tells him that you don't want him there. So that's kind of a quick recap of the last time) um, <laughs> Looking at my notes here. The Holy Spirit is named that for a reason. Yes. God could have picked any name for the Holy Spirit. He could have picked the, the loving spirit because God is love, right? right? He could have picked the compassionate spirit. He could have picked any of those amazing absolute attributes of God, but he picked the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And he did that for a reason. So, as uh, most of you know, if you were here last time, um, I just got back from a pastor's conference down in Florida. It was great. I kind of got charged up again. Um, a lot of things were confirmed in my heart that the Lord's been dealing with me over the past several months. Um, it was just awesome. Just awesome. I learned, learned some things as well. Um, but I want to, I want to preface Tonight, as I'm just, just kind of pouring out my heart. I don't, like I said, I don't really have any notes, just a bunch of scriptures. Uh, I want to preface it with this, that, well, first of all, I believe that, the, and, and don't, don't take this in a weird way, like you think I'm bragging about this. I believe that the Lord has placed me in the office of a teacher in the body of Christ. I believe that. Um, and that's, again, not me trying to brag because a tree is known by its fruit. So let the fruit show it. Um, but teachers in the body of Christ, whether they walk in the fivefold office of a teacher or not, just teachers in the body of Christ have a tendency to get really academic, which they should. That's their job. That's their, that's their gifting, is to, to break stuff down. You've heard the term systematic theology. I love systematic theology. It's how I teach. It's how I learn. But it is not how the Bible is written. The Bible is not written like a, like a textbook. It's not written like a rule book. It's written like you're getting to know someone. So I just want to preface this by saying, and I'm not saying we have done this. We haven't. I haven't. Nobody in here has. But I want to say that we need to be careful when we're learning about God, when we're even us, when we're teaching about God, not to separate the doctrine, the theology from the Lord. Because that is a trap that many have fallen into. They have gotten so academic, so th- theological, that they have separated the truths in the word from the word himself. Yeah. And it becomes, it becomes dogma, and it becomes an excuse to be right yeah. without having the actual relationship that we are called to. So, I just wanted to say that. I, I want to say that we will always strive to, to, yes, we are teachers of the word. We teach the word, even academically sometimes. You've been in here when I had my PowerPoints up here. I'll bring those back someday. It just depends on the message. But, we are serving a person the Bible is not a textbook. It's not a literary book. It is a revelation of someone. The Lord is not a part of the Bible. The entire Bible is about the Lord. The whole Bible is everything that we know about the Lord. That's what the Bible is. Jesus is not a character in the Bible He's not a portion of the Bible. He didn't just show up in Matthew. He is the word. The entire written word is Jesus in its fullness. So when we're learning, when we're teaching about the Lord, we cannot become so dogmatic that we forget that hey, we're talking about a person here mm-hmm. we're talking about the Lord, and you know i I got some insight um over the week uh, while I was gone at the conference um, some insight into the presence of the Lord, which is what we're talking about in this series, the series that the 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 manifest glory of the Lord. And I've talked about the manifest glory of the Lord before in way more demonstrative senses. You know, the glory cloud. A lot of people have seen the glory cloud. I personally haven't, I hope to, Uh, that'd be cool. Um, But outpourings of, great outpourings of joy and laughter, those are awesome, I love those. Um, but when I'm talking about the glory of the Lord, I mean it in a more consistent sense, because not everyone sees the glory cloud. That doesn't mean they're not holy or they're not seeking the Lord, but that doesn't happen a lot anymore. And, you know, you could get off in the weeds about that and come up with all kinds of reasons. I personally think that back back in the charismatic renewal, that they needed that specifically in order to grow their faith in the Lord. And not that it doesn't happen today. It still does, absolutely. But there was an anointing there for that back in that day. What I'm talking about here is simply the very presence of the Lord. It's so what I said last time. All the, the glory is, you know, that's a really, really ethereal term. Ooh, the glory. But all the glory is, is the holy presence of the Lord. Yeah. I'm talking about, you know, holiness has a name. When holiness walks into a room, that's the glory. Yeah. You can, you can, it's, it's tangible, you can sense when it happens. It's like I was saying that time I I got up to preach that one Sunday morning, and I was preaching my, my Jesus series, basically kind of condensed into one message. And, you know, I had planned on making it super lighthearted. I was going to tell some jokes, kind of get the congregation awake a little bit. But then during worship, I was flattened. I couldn't move my legs. <laughs> Keith looked over at me to... to, I was supposed to come up before he ended the song, but but he ended the song and he was kind of looking over at me like... And I couldn't move because the glory was there. That holy presence of the Lord. It is... In a word, it is heavy and... You know, some people can take that and they can get this weird connotation of, in their head of like it's it's scary, or or it's it's, you know, they still have like this this Old Testament view of God, this um, medieval view of God of, of like this angry like he's waiting to strike you down, like that's the ooh, holy presence of the Lord. But no, the, the 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 holy presence of the Lord is very comforting. It's, it's heavy in the sense that it's serious. There's weight to it. When holiness walks into a room, you can't be frivolous. You can't disrespect it because it is the holy presence of the Lord. And that's what I'm talking about. You see, we can strive for this presence in our daily lives, we can live in the presence of the Lord just every day. Yes. You're probably not going to walk around 24-7 in a glory cloud. But you can walk around 24-7 in the holy presence of Jesus. I love the glory cloud. I hope to see it someday. But that would be a sovereign act of God. I can't, I can't just pray that and it happened but you can walk in the presence of the Lord Jesus every day. Now, I've got a few scriptures here that have just been popping out at me for the past few days. And it got me thinking, and I'm going to do a study on this eventually. Two people in the Bible who really walked with God in, in a level not seen in anyone else, was Moses and David. In the Old Testament, at least. In the new te- I know we're under a new covenant. I get that. So don't, don't come and say, oh, but, but we're under a new covenant and it's better. I get that. But two people in the Old Testament who walked with God unlike any other. You, did you know the Old Testament wasn't done away with You know that, right? We're not living under the Levitical priesthood or or the, the Mosaic law or anything, but the Old Testament, it's not like Jesus threw the Old Testament in the trash when he ascended. The Old Testament contains so much what we would call theology, so much you can learn about God from the Old Testament, his character, what he likes, what he doesn't like. So much you can learn about him. People have this idea in their head that all of the Old Testament is the law. But the law, the law came way later in human history, if you think about it. If you study the timeline. And Jesus came to fulfill the law. He didn't come to to he, he said, I have not come to do away with the law, I've come to fulfill it. So the entire law is fulfilled in Jesus. All of, the, all of the ceremonial sacrifices and all that stuff, it's all fulfilled in Jesus. And Jesus even showed the two men on the way to Emmaus, he, sh- he showed them all the scriptures throughout the Old Testament and showed them himself in all those scriptures. So the Old Testament is not, it's not obsolete, is what I'm trying to say. There is so much we can glean from the Old Testament. It is the Word. It is still the Word. The, the inspired Word of God is just, is not just the New Testament. Some people have this purely historical view of the Old Testament. That's, that's only a piece of the puzzle. The Old Testament is still the inspired Word of God. And two men from the old testament are Moses and David and they had a relationship with the lord that was unlike anybody else in the old testament abraham comes close abraham does come close but no one had it quite like Moses and David yeah. so i've just i've got a couple of things you know i've been reading some things and starting to study the lives of Moses and David, and just stuff keeps popping out at me. You know, have you ever had scripture just pop out at you? That's that's the Holy Spirit say, hey, that's the one. Yeah, that's it. That one right there. That's what that is. So I would like to turn there, if you will, to Numbers chapter 12. So, Numbers chapter 12. Here we find that um, Aaron and Miriam had been kind of trash-talking Moses a little bit. And, uh, yeah, God didn't like that. (laughs) Among other things, what we can learn from this story is don't disrespect your leaders that God has appointed. But um, that's not the point I want to make here. Numbers chapter 12. Verses 6 through 8 say, And he said, Hear my words. This is God talking. Hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth, clearly and not in riddles, as he beholds the form of the Lord. And why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant? So, God had this face-to-face relationship with Moses. And in the Old Covenant, that was unheard of. That didn't just happen to everyone. Certain people had the, you know, you know, certain people had the Holy Spirit come upon them, you know, prophets, priests, and kings. But nobody had it quite like Moses in his day. He spoke with the Lord face-to-face. And in Exodus chapter 33, we find one of those times. Exodus chapter th- 33 has become a really, really cool chapter in my studies, and it is quickly becoming one of my favorite chapters um, in, at least, in Exodus quickly becoming uh, uh, one of the top ten <laughs> in the Old Testament. But Exodus 33, this was God's command to Israel to leave Mount Sinai. So they had been at Sinai, you know, the the Lord had given Moses the, the Ten Commandments and then they did that whole thing with the golden calf. Um, you know, all that stuff. But this was the Lord telling them to leave Sinai. And I'm just going to read some, some select verses here. Verses 9 through 11 say, When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent. That's the glory cloud. And the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship eat at his tent door. Now there's a cool precept to follow. When you see the Lord, what do you do? Worship. Worship. Honor. Thus, the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Wow, what a life. What a life. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. And... I see that as really interesting because even when Moses was done speaking to the Lord, Joshua wouldn't even leave. That's it. Joshua was like, nope, I'm not done. I'm going to stay here for a while. And then um, verses 13 through 15 say, this is Moses talking. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And God said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And Moses said to him, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. Verse 18 says, Moses said, Please show me your glory. And we know, reading that after that, was when God put him on a mountainside and passed before him. And he said, you can't see my face. No man can see my face and live. But I'll show you my back. So God honored his request to show me your glory. But there's a statement in there that I just read that I think would all do us some real good to vow before the Lord. He said to him, If your presence will not go with us, don't bring us out of here. It's a very simple request. God, if you're not there, I don't want it. If you're not there, I'm not going. Because the Lord had told them beforehand, because of the people's rebellion, he had told them that my presence isn't going to go with you. And Moses had to intercede on behalf of the people. And that's why God said, okay, my presence will go with you. And Moses said, Lord, if your presence doesn't go with us, I don't want to go. I don't want to go anywhere if you're not there. I don't want to do anything if you're not in it. Moses had a revelation of just how important The presence of the Lord is. And the New Testament tells us in James that Abraham believed God, it was counted as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. Wow. Now we know from our studies, you know, I've preached a whole series about it, how Jesus has called us his friends. But what so many people don't realize is that that wasn't a a just flowery language, you know? That wasn't a superficial statement. Jesus Jesus longs to speak to us face to face. I'm not, you know, all our super academic minds go to thinking Jesus isn't going to like appear in front of you Physically, I mean, he has before to some people, but that's not something he's going to do regularly. When I say face to face, I mean he is in the room in spirit, of course. He longs to speak to us face to face. Why? Because we're his friends. Friends don't hurt other friends, friends respect other friends. God honors our response when he walks into a room and if we don't really care if we kind of treat it as a sideshow you know like ooh that's cool friends respect other friends if we dishonor God that tells him he's not welcome in this place and that brought me to David. David was another one of those guys that just, his relationship with the Lord was just unlike any anybody else. And you can see it throughout his life. And what I find interesting is that David messed up a lot. Like, we we feel bad when we, you know, gossip about our neighbor, which we should, but, man, David literally spied on this woman taking a bath and then had her husband killed so he could be with her. I mean, and yet, and yet, David, out of everyone in the Old Testament, had a greater relationship with God, a more manifest relationship with God than anybody else. How about that? And yet, we're under a new and better covenant. But... We've all heard the phrase, David was a man after my own heart. I think that uh, I wrote it down. We get that phrase from Acts thirteen twenty two. It says, um, when God had removed him, he raised up David. He raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom he also gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. But, you know, I really don't think we've gotten a grasp on that phrase, David, a man after my own heart. And I I feel like we don't really get the depth of meaning of that phrase, a man after my own heart. And really, if you read it, just, just grammatically, just look at the words, like linguistically, a man after my own heart. Well what does that mean? It's like it's like a, you, you've seen a police chase on maybe the news or something. What are they doing? They're after that person. They're chasing him. They're hunting him down. They're going to find him. They are, they are hell-bent on getting to this person. That's what that means, to be after someone. And I think that is the key. To David, David, above everyone else, really knew what it meant to pursue the Lord. I think he had the heart, the same heart as Moses. Lord, if you're not here, then I need to find you no matter what. If you're not in this thing, then I need to find what you are in. If you don't move, I won't move. If you move, I'm coming with you. That's what it means to be a person after God's own heart. You are after his heart. You are pursuing it. You are chasing it. And you can see this in the things that he wrote. I mean, the Psalms, you see this all through the Psalms. All through them. I've got a few written down here. I didn't have time to write down more. Psalm 28, uh, or sorry, 26 Eight. he says "O oh Lord I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells David knew what it meant to be in a place where the Lord was there he knew exactly what that meant and he said Lord I love it I love sitting there with you just being with you God I love it In Psalm 27, there's a few verses in here that really jump out. Verse 4 says, and, and many of us know this one, One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after. What does that sound like? After God's own heart. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. That's what he was after. He was after the, the ability to dwell in God's house and gaze at his beauty. That's what he wanted. In verse eight of that chapter, it says, you have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. That's what he wanted. And God said, David, seek my face. David said, all right. Fine with me. David was pursuing God's heart. He was after it. In verse 13 and 14 of that same chapter, David says, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. You know what wait for the Lord means? That's kind of a, it's kind of a, Hebraism, if you will. It's, it's one of those phrases that we don't really use in English. But to wait for the Lord means you're just, you're just sitting with him, waiting for what he wants. You're just being with him. That's what it means to wait on the Lord. It means if he ain't moving, you better sit down and not move either. And I mean that metaphorically, like you don't actually have to sit down, but you better not move either. If he's not moving, why? Because if he's not moving and you move, well, he's he's over here, and you're you're going over here, and the glory's over here. Psalm eighty four. verses 1 and 2. Now, David, David himself didn't actually write this song, but it carries the same, the same heart. It says, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. The presence of the Lord was something that David could not live without. He said, my, my soul longs and faints for the courts of the Lord. That is a deep yearning in oneself to say, when God is not present, or when I have gone to a place where God's not in it, it, it hurts. Like, it's, it's painful inwardly. Like, you can't stand it. And he said, even my, my heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. That, that speaks of such a fervor for his presence that, that he expresses it physically. We know David danced before the Lord, right? That, it, that was one of the instances. His heart was pouring out his love for his Savior, well, his Lord, his God, he wasn't a Savior yet. Um, Psalm 132, 1 through 5. Psalm 132, 1 through 5. It says, Remember, O Lord, in David's favor all the hardships he endured, how he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob I will not enter my house or get into my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. That was a vow that David took before the Lord. It says, I won't sleep until I find a house for you. Because this was this was after the ark had been captured and there, there was no... There was no tabernacle at the time, um, and they were basically keeping the ark in a tent. And David said, "Lord, I'm not going to sleep until I find a place for your for your glory." In First Chronicles 16 verse 11, David says, "Seek the Lord and His strength; seek His presence continually. Continually." David knew what it felt like to be continually in the Lord's presence and yes David sinned David David drove God out of his life on some on multiple occasions but he always went back he always went back why because his soul yearned for it it is good to be in the Lord's presence it is so good it is so comforting it is so holy and once, once you've experienced it, well, you're probably going to get addicted <laughs> and go right ahead. Hallelujah. Y'all ever read Lamentations before? Yes. Oh, good. Okay. So that's one, of those, that's one of those shorter books that I feel like not a lot of people have read. I, I like the book. It's really insightful. But Lamentations 3, 24 and 25 says, The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. He is good to those who seek him. He is good to those who seek him. We need to be a people seeking the Lord, seeking his presence, not accepting any moment of stepping outside his presence and his will, not accepting it. And if we find ourselves in situations where we just know God's not here, God's not in this thing, we need to throw it aside and run back to him. In Luke 10, I want to turn there. I know it's getting about the end of this thing, and that's actually the last verse I have, so that's really convenient timing. Thanks, Lord. Lord. Luke 10 I'm going to turn there myself. Luke 10 We all know this story, but when you get familiar with a story, sometimes you can kind of brush through it, you know? Even it's the same principle as when you're hearing a sermon and you're say, "Oh yeah, I've heard this before." Okay. Well, we all know this story, it's a very popular story. Every it doesn't matter what denomination you are, what you know, quote unquote camp you're from, everybody preaches this story. Luke ten thirty eight. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house, and she had a sister called Mary, who watch this, who sat at the feet at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, or she has chosen the one thing, which will not be taken away from her. And this applies in all our lives. It applies in ministry. You know, some ministers get so busy building their own empire, building their own name, that they forget to add the Lord to it. Yeah. And a lot, of, a lot of people who aren't ministers, they get so busy that they forget that we need to be sitting at the feet of Jesus, continually in his presence. We can't let ourselves get so busy in our lives that we forget, hey, I can invite Jesus here too, you know. In our, our jobs, our hobbies, kicking back on the couch and watching TV. Jesus can be there too. Yeah. He's not confined to a church building, right. though many treat him that way. Jesus wants to go with you. He wants to be involved in your life but you have to let him. Jesus is pursuing us, yes, but it's a two-way street. You have to be a person after his own heart as well. That's right. Come on. He, is all, he is continuously seeking after you, but you have to seek him too. It's a two-way street. He's not going to go where he is not welcomed. And welcoming him is a voluntary act it is, a volunt- it is a voluntary act of your will to welcome him into your life. He's not going where he's not welcome. A lot of people push Jesus away unintention- completely unintentionally just by the way they live their lives, just by the way they treat him. And he wants to be involved. He wants to be in our lives. But we can't get so distracted and so busy that we forget, hey, he is here. We can continuously walk in his presence, walk in his holy glory, and it never has to go away. Anointings are reserved for special moments, but the thing about an anointing is we, we, think of, we, we have such a narrow-minded view of what an anointing is. We think an anointing is a goosebumps moment during the worship set. I mean, it can be. But that's so narrow-minded. An anointing is just the presence of the Holy Lord Jesus Christ on a specific thing, you know, a specific action. You know, that one, of, one of the reasons that we are always so flexible, uh, speaking as a member of our worship team, one of the reasons that we are so flexible is because sometimes the Lord wants to repeat a chorus. Who are we to question that? Sometimes the Lord just wants us to cut a song short. Who are we to question that? Maybe that's not what he wants right now. Who are we to question why God wants to have a healing line in the middle of service? That's what he wants. We pursue that. We pursue wherever the glory is. It can be on a moment. It can be in a location It can be in a specific action. If the glory doesn't move, we're not going anywhere. And that is second by second, not day by day, second by second. If the Lord wants to extend a worship set for five more minutes, well, we're, bless God, we're going to extend the worship set for five more minutes. If Pastor Allen wants to cut his message five minutes short because the glory is lifted, we're cutting the message five minutes short. If he wants to go 10 minutes long, well, bless God, y'all's chicken fingers can wait because he's preaching for 10 minutes more. Right. We follow the glory. Yes. We follow the Lord. Yes. Bless God, I've gone, well, look at that. I've gone five minutes over. I better cut it short, huh? No. <laughs> but I am done. And I don't have an elegant way of ending this message like I usually do because I didn't have time to prepare it, but who cares? Who cares? We love the Lord around here. And if that offends you, well, there's, our pastor used to say, there's the door, E-X-I-T. <laughs>